It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the program. Thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the show. And thank you to some of the patrons that make the show possible, like David and Curtis and Sherry, Nick, Green, Anamorpher and Mark and Paul and NC38. I appreciate it. These are just the names people give me. I don't know. They may be pseudonyms. I'm not sure. Well, I think NC38 might be. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think that is what. I think that might be a pseudonym. Not a pseudonym. Rowena Patton, uh, proud sponsor of the program. Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. This is who I use. I'm Christy and I are using right now to purchase a house. Buying or selling. She and her team, uh, they're the only ones you should call. 333-4483 is the phone number. Mountainhomehunt.com is the website. And uh, she's part of this community. She's been here for years. She's been uh, tops in real estate in the state for years. She wrote a best-selling book about it. Um, And she's the only agent that I would ever have thought to use to sell my home, buy a home. And uh, you should, too. Okay. She outsells 99% of the realtors in North Carolina. A lot of people heading for the hills right now. So if you've been thinking about selling a house, you might want to do it now. Interest rates really low and a lot of people looking to get out of cities. I wonder why. 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com and start packing. We're going to talk to Congressman Greg Murphy from North Carolina's uh, 3rd District down east. But first... An update from the governor's administration. He wasn't at this first press conference this weekend or this week, rather, about uh, giving a COVID update. This was his health secretary, Mandy Cohen. And she was asked whether uh, she was surprised to see the colleges shut down so quickly. Nearly two weeks ago now, when the governor and I um, were here talking about uh, the next phase of what we would do with easing restrictions, Mm -hmm. we said we need to pause. Um, And we said that because as we knew there would be opening of higher ed uh, institutions, universities and colleges, as well as our K-12 schools, we knew more people would be moving around. That means more virus moving around. Um, so we we knew that this was going to be something we needed to watch very closely. Um, and so that is exactly why we we paused additional uh, easing of restrictions back two weeks ago. We want we we knew that there would be some viral spread from the reopening. Um, and I think what we have been trying to do is make sure that we are understanding what are the drivers of that spread. And what we are seeing is that spread of virus is um, in social gatherings, parties, particularly mm. ones that are off campus, as well as housing um, that is off campus as well, sororities, fraternities, other group houses. Um, what And we are also seeing some viral spread in some of our athletic teams. So what that uh, shows us is that, look, off-campus in particular is still subject to um, our executive orders, uh, those that should be limiting gatherings and are requiring face coverings. It's why I spent some time today on the three W's. Um, Those are the things that really need to be part of of the actions that everyone is taking, avoiding crowds, avoiding parties, whether you're at a university setting or not, and wearing a face covering all the time. 
all the time. Wearing a face covering all the time. And don't go to any parties, college kids. I do think this is interesting that uh, they said, well, we're going to open the colleges and uh, that means we can't open the gyms. That was it. So she's making the connection here explicitly so, right? This was a direct connection. She goes on then to offer a suggestion on how to drop the hammer on the college kids uh, who are going to the off-campus parties and who, by the way, are among the least likely to die from COVID by the science and data and facts. There is more the university can do and really? we continue to work with them, particularly as they think about what is happening off campus. Um, and there are tools a university can use related mm-hmm. to student codes of conduct and ho- ho- uh, holding students accountable um, for their <laughs> actions both on and off campus. And so I know this university is moving in that direction and we oh. want to encourage them to continue that. This is about making sure that the the, the guidance that we have on paper turns into um, the implementation that we need to see and we need to see the universities do that and make sure they're using all of the tools at their disposal to make sure that that students, again, whether on or off campus, are abiding by uh, that guidance and, and the protocols to keep them and their communities safe. So there you have it. She said she's telling the, the colleges, drop the hammer on these kids and cite them for violations of the honor code. So you're, you're going to risk expulsion if you have a house party with more than 10 people. <laughs> because if you have eight people, you're, you're totally fine getting trashed and hanging out. That's that's fine. Eight people, you're, you're good to go. See, COVID knows. COVID knows if there's an 11th person there, then it smites away. Smite, smite, smite. 10 is fine. 11, you're mine. That's the rule that COVID goes by, right? That's how it determines who gets struck down. Now, what's also pretty fascinating here is that she's confident that she can track this all back to the house parties that are occurring off campus. No on campus, really. None of those gatherings. Again, they're probably not large enough. Um, But she's able to track it back to the off campus housing. uh, And that's why they're seeing these trends among the college age kids, which is interesting because they could never trace back any of the spike and the surge that occurred in this same age demographic in July, they were never able to trace it back to the mass protests. It's really amazing stuff. So house parties, yes. Mass gatherings in protest of police brutality, no. No, they cannot do that kind of science. Well, we have been making progress. We knew that that progress was fragile. Um, and we're seeing some of the additional viral spread in our 18 to 24-year-olds drive some additional cases. It is slight. I would say that the the, the cases going up uh, at the end of last week and some of our percent positive going up, very small. Um, so I think there is plenty of opportunity here for us to make sure that we're getting back to stable and back to declining cases, which is what we want to see. And it goes back to that those simple three W's. I know it's repetitive. I know everyone is weary of this virus and the three W's. But these simple actions is what is going to help us make progress. When we don't have a medicine and we don't have a vaccine, it's the three W's that is our, um, our, our way of defeating this virus. And again, just to reiterate about this, and I want to be specific, I think we see a lot of good compliance with face coverings, for example, in grocery stores and um, settings like the post office. What we're not seeing is 
folks wearing face coverings, maybe when they're with their extended family or their friends. Um, that, is, we, that is a place where you also want to be wearing a face covering. And again, you want to be avoiding large crowds in any sort, whether it's associated with a university um, at an off-campus party or somewhere else. I think large gatherings show us that this virus can spread quickly. So if we can keep doing the three W's, I do think that we can continue to see uh, positive progress in our trends. All right, so the washing the hands is the way to defeat the virus. This is the masks are going to defeat the virus. The standing six feet apart, that defeats the virus. This is not science. I'm sorry. This is, that's not science. <laughs> you can mitigate. You're not going to defeat a virus by doing those three things. You can mitigate its impact, but you're not going to defeat it, right? Come on. Also, she says that because the college is opened, the gyms have to stay closed. We're going to have to continue to watch our trends during this time. Um, and and I'd, I'd say we're seeing some additional viral spread. So from two weeks ago to last week, we did see a slight increase um, in our cases, very slight. Very slight. Uh, to, to last week, and that is largely driven by some of the reopenings in our, our universities and the viral spread we're seeing at some of those campuses. Um, so we're going to have to see where our trends are. The thing is, we know what works. And it's the three W's. So if we continue to do the three W's together um, and we all work at this together, whether it's um, in Looks our universities gyms. and college settings or throughout the state, no, but not um, gyms. I think we will continue to see progress in our trends. Assuming we do, then we do want to make progress in uh, additional reopenings um, of things like gyms and, and others. But we need to Bars. see continued progress uh, with our trends going in the right direction. And as of last week, they started to tip in the wrong direction. By the way, remember... They- tipped in the wrong direction remember too uh the administration was told that by not opening bars but opening colleges you're just going to get house parties and lo and behold house parties (laughs) come on people if you had opened bars you would have given people a place to go that would be sanitized it would be safer oh speaking of sanitizing um i have got if you are uh, trying to open a gym or a bar and you're just waiting to open uh, or maybe you have a restaurant or some other place of business and you want to sanitize and disinfect the area the karcher misting system with vital oxide disinfectant is what you need it is at general equipment rental in weaverville and you rent one of these machines. They are super easy to use. They're, they're like the size of a shop vac, four wheels. They roll around and they're cordless and you spray everything down. And then you're done for like up to 10 days. Uh, you just got to do some spot cleaning. It's called the Karcher Misting System. It is safe for kids and pets and food contact surfaces. It uses an all-in-one hospital-grade EPA-approved germicidal disinfectant sanitizer and deodorizer. And it kills 99.9% of infection causing bacteria and viruses, including, yes, coronavirus. Uh, It also treats and uh, kills off uh, mold and mildew and fungi, which is sad for the college parties because you always want some fungi around at the college parties. Sorry. Okay, no rinses required, non-toxic, hypoallergenic. It's odorless. It's colorless. It's 100% biodegradable, and uh, you rent it once a week, and you're good to go. Karcher, Mr at General Equipment Rental in Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. Go to generalrents.com and think outside your toolbox. Joining me now is North Carolina's 3rd District Representative, Dr. Greg Murphy. The 3rd District is down east, basically covers the entire coast from uh, north of Wilmington, like the Jacksonville area, all the way up to the Virginia border. And uh, welcome back to the program, Dr. Congressman Murphy. How are you? 
I'm well, Pete. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, out of curiosity, is this the biggest district? I know they're all population equal, but like that's a. I was looking at this map earlier today. That is a massive district. How do you cover <laughs> all of that? Uh, all of that territory. Do a lot of driving. We actually have uh, compared to the other 438 congressional districts in the country, we have the second most amount of coastline. Huh. Um, actually, only Representative Steve Scalise down in Louisiana has more. And if we're to, well, I, I have to also give one thing, maybe third, the Alaska. Alaska yeah. has a lot of coastline, but uh, uh, we have a lot of water and just it's just a wonderful district. I'm, I'm so lucky and blessed to be able to represent it. So you are also a doctor. You were the former chief of staff at Vedant Medical Center. You're a former state lawmaker as well. And the last time we spoke, it was the very beginning of the COVID outbreak. And a lot of people, you know, didn't know what was going on. I think you were the one that gave us the uh, building the plane while we're flying it analogy. And I've used it often, obviously, without crediting you, of course. Um, but uh, I, I thought I thought it's actually a really good analogy. And I think I, I still think it speaks to the lack of knowledge that we have. Like, we don't know what we don't know on so much of this stuff. And unfortunately, my observation is that it doesn't seem like a lot of our leaders are interested in changing course, even if there's new information that comes out. Uh, and with your medical background, is this, I don't think that's the proper way to do science or medicine. Am I am I mistaken on my assessment, though? Uh, well, I'm not so sure I would share that. Um, I'd love to have you give me some specific details of why you feel that. Yes, you know, this says, again, we go back to the analogy, uh, you know, building a plane while we're flying it. And I think once uh, the pandemic is done and life returns to normal, which it will, I think there will be plenty of time to study. What did we do right? What did we do wrong? What could we have done differently? And, uh, you know, there'll be definitely uh, things that we could have done differently, hands down. I mean, I think we can look back on some of the things right now. But, you know, you have to deal in the moment. Uh, this was something entirely new for our nation, for the world. And I think things for the most part, um, we're really done in the right direction, and, and I think actually um, we're in a pretty good place right now. Not a perfect place because the pandemic is still with us, but we're in a pretty good place now balancing the health and welfare of the nation, but also the uh, the economic viability of our nation. So, All right, so one of the things I'm seeing is, uh, and this is particularly at the state level, because I, be, I believe that, I do agree with the president's approach that let the states respond to the emergencies, because I think they're best equipped, they have most the most experience doing it. Um, that being said, like, for example, I look at other states around us, you know, they, they did not issue mask mandates, for example. Now, I don't know, I wear a mask, I don't know if they work or they don't work, if they do work, how much, I, I don't know any of that, I'm not a scientist, so I just go by the recommendations that are given given to me. Um, but I look at other states that did not adopt mask mandates, and I see that their their infection curves look, then their death rate curves look very similar to ours. And then I see our governor and his health secretary saying that the mask mandate had a direct impact on our numbers going down. And I don't know if that's true, <laughs> because I see these other states that did not do what we did, like Tennessee. They still have their bars open or their uh, gyms open, and we do not. So why are our numbers going down like theirs are? You know, I, I, I don't understand some of this stuff. Yeah, well, Pete, I would agree on, on that assessment. Um, I would agree on you as far as statewide um, that some of the decisions have made have been exceedingly inconsistent. 
Um, you know, I was uh, uh, very disappointed, to be very honest with you, with Dr. Cohen and some of the shift that turned from medical science into political science, the same thing with the governor. Um, I think it just turned to, uh, instead of doing what necessarily right for everybody in the whole state, to do what was right um, politically, which I think has injured a great number of people in this state. You know, it took, uh, Pete, it took a lawsuit. It took a lawsuit for us to get information, which I had asked personally. I had asked for information about our nursing homes, but it took a lawsuit for that information to come out uh, in the uh, uh, from HHS to tell us about how poorly we were doing with our nursing homes and how so many people were dying in our nursing homes compared to everybody else. And, you know, that's just uh, wrong. It, it's done for political motivation. And I think it's wrong. And well, so, yeah, I, I think some things have been done right in the state, but I think a lot of them, a lot of the decisions have been politically motivated. Right. I was, I think we discussed this too several months ago, that I was willing to give the benefit of the doubt on a lot of this stuff because I don't have all of the information. I'm not an expert. Um, but like you said, when you start seeing all of these inconsistent standards and orders being issued, then it raises obvious questions like what's the difference between a brewery and a bar? You know, it's just yeah. if you make the beer on site, I guess COVID knows the virus knows not to kill you. I, I don't understand. Uh, or after 11 o'clock at night, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. The co right. I guess COVID goes to sleep early. It turns in at 11. Um, yeah. So uh, some of those decisions and the you mentioned the um, the nursing homes as well. Uh, early on, we knew that the nursing homes with the most vulnerable populations would need to be protected first. And. Uh, and people were saying we need to be, you know, screening and testing all of the staff and everybody at the nursing homes. And they and DHHS said, well, we can't really do that. Um, and, you know, we're, we, we're doing the state run facilities, but we these are the private facilities. And they made it seem like they didn't have the authority yet. They had the authority to shut down every business, but they didn't have that authority. And now about what, three weeks ago, now they've required the testing. And yeah. like I, it undermines my confidence that what they're doing is actually in the interest of science and listening to you, it does not actually make me feel better. <laughs> well, well, Pete, I mean that, that latter statement, what you said was total utter nonsense, yeah. total utter nonsense. It took the state of North Carolina over three months to develop a testing plan for our nursing homes. You know, and other States were doing it months prior. I mean, in my opinion, um, that, that led to the demise of many individuals because we weren't doing the right things for our most vulnerable population. That's just a fact. That's not political. That's just a fact. And the fact that uh, it took three months for the administration um, to get their act together to develop a testing plan for nursing homes, in my opinion, is incompetence. And I'm just going to be plain and simple about that. Yeah. And uh, that's just the fact. It's just the truth. You And you offered, if I remember correctly, you offered... <clears throat> to help them, to, to assist the administration, the, the governor's uh, office. I actually with any did. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I offered them and I said, look, don't look at me as a uh, Republican member of Congress. Look at me as a physician that's willing to help. And um, that uh, offer of assistance, because it was a total nonpartisan offer of assistance, got pushed away. And then when things turned political, I'm sorry, that's when um, I kind of got my dander up and I said, you're doing things for political reasons, not for medical reasons. And I'm going to call you out on it. And that's what I've done. My guest is North Carolina Congressman Dr. Greg Murphy. More with him uh, in a minute. First, 
Here's a great deal on mattresses. If you are thinking about buying a mattress, I have got a great deal for you. Well, not really me. Mattress Man has a great deal for you. It's the triple zero deal. Zero down, zero interest for up to two years, and zero payments for 90 days. Zero, zero, zero. The triple zero. Also, how would you like a queen-sized gel memory foam mattress for $399? That is a hot deal, folks. This is the the gel memory foam. So it's the memory foam, but a little bit cooler. Free bedding bundle, including sheets and protectors and pillows, all with the purchase of select mattresses. And they are also your source for the Biltmore collection, the Biltmore line of mattresses that are made by Restonic, uh, located in Fayetteville. Top of the line mattresses. These are the mattresses that are uh, in the Biltmore Hotel and Inn. Okay, so you know it's quality. And they also have the line Nature's Spa, it's called, which is the latest brand from Paramount Sleep, which is a series of hybrid mattresses. And these are the ones that are featured at Blackberry Farm in Tennessee. So high quality mattresses, all kinds of them. Go to their website, mattressmanstores.com, or go to any of their four local locations in the Asheville area. You got uh, Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. And let the sleep consultants help you find the right bed for you. Five-star delivery service, 120-day comfort guarantee. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. What are the stats or the metrics that you look at as we move through this uh, this outbreak? Are, are there any, I don't know, any particular metrics that you look at as sort of a, a guidepost? Yeah, sure. I mean, there, there are different ones. Obviously, the the most important one. Well, no, let me take you back a second. We we tried to at the beginning of this entire pandemic, we talked about flattening the curve. The whole purpose was to flatten the curve to allow um, hospitals, medical facilities, et cetera, to gather resources so they would not be overrun like they were in Italy. And that was the whole thought. And that has been done by far. So let's, you know, the governor's administration has been moving the goalposts the entire time, um, changing things to really fit a narrative, which has just been very, very unfortunate. So we flattened the curve by, by all means. And so then we look now at what parameters, what are we looking at most importantly? You look at the total number of cases and they're go- they've gone up, especially in places in uh, some colleges and universities, not unexpected. But Let's look at the real statistics that matter. Let's look at the hospitalizations, and then let's look at the people who unfortunately succumb to the disease. How old are they? Uh, what are their comorbidities, et cetera? And so while cases have gone up unexpectedly, it's not like the ma- virus magically disappears. Mm-hmm. The number of deaths in the country, the number of hospitalizations in North Carolina has been like a sawtooth. And we see this up and down, up and down, up and down, a very stable sawtooth over the last three to four months. But we look at the number of people who have perished from the disease. And if you look at April 16th in the country, um, on that day, 22.6% or so, if my memory serves correctly, of people who died that day in the country died from COVID. That number now is down to around 5%. I mean, we've just made such a massive difference in taking care of people uh, who end up with the disease and end up hospitalized. So I look at the hospitalizations, which have been stable, and then I look at the number of people who have perished from the disease, which has plummeted. And so, yes, our young people may get sick, but they uniformly, uniformly will do well. And I think the numbers are for age under uh, 18. I think we've had, uh, maybe it's under 25, we've had three perish in the state, maybe it's five, but it's just very, very small numbers. And uh, And those, to my understanding, 
or individuals that had significant comorbid diseases also. Mm. And unfortunately, our elderly are the ones who suffer most from this. Um, they, the over age 65, the over age 75 individuals, but that's who we really should be targeting, not the rest of the uh, healthy society of North Carolina. So what you've just described with the hospitalizations and the, the number of deaths, and that's sort of the charts that, that I was referencing earlier, they all sort of look kind of similar, where it's like this big bulge at the front, uh, you know, like a bell curve, but it bulges sort of on the left side, and then it tapers off. And I see that replicated in state after state after state, and in country after country. And so it, it just, it makes me wonder, and to kind of sum up in a probably pretty trite phrase, but viruses are going to virus like this is what they normally do isn't it isn't that what it, it what it looks like it it attacks and kills the most vulnerable and then everybody else just kind of it just tapers off in that population yeah if you look at different viruses and i think it's always important to learn from the past ebola and when ebola came out uh they were you know and correctly so this could have been a horrible virus if ebola had been transmitted the way that um uh, COVID has, mm. I'll tell you, Pete, we would probably have between 700 and 800 million people um, in the world die from that. And mm. so that's an entirely different thing. But, you know, fortunately, uh, Ebola really burned out. It burned out in two years while a lot of the folks thought it would take 10 or 12. So that was a fortunate thing. You know, viruses do act differently. The Zika virus, if you remember that occurred oh, yeah. years ago, that affected excuse me, that disproportionately affected younger individuals, especially gave, uh, if you remember, if anybody was pregnant and got it, they had a lot of neural tube defects. They would have babies born with spinal cord problems. And so, you know, everybody hits differently. But what we've seen uniformly with this virus is that younger populations really do well with this. This doesn't mean that one off somebody's going to have a tragedy by all means, but you can't run a country, you can't run a society by anecdotal evidence in small populations it just doesn't happen and you know i'll just uh, i'll just give one aside you know we have kids on college campuses that every fall pass away from meningitis yeah it's a tragedy it's known to occur it happens in clusters um and that happens every year but we don't shut college campuses down because of that and so you know again it's trying to use the science trying not to be political about it um, but trying to actually have that dictate policy rather than politics or a political agenda. So the investment firm, a holding company, Franklin Templeton, commissioned a survey from Gallup, and they asked about people's perceptions on uh, the risk of COVID-19, of getting it and dying from it. And what they found was there's a, a huge gap between reality and people's perception of the risk. And this was fascinating. It was most that that uh, that gap was widest among Democrats. They, they there is. Yeah, there's a massive fear that Democrats more than Republicans have about the risk of catching it and dying from it. They believe, like, for example, uh, over the age of 55, they think that that's roughly half of all of the deaths. And it's not. It's 90 something percent of all the deaths. So, like, they have this idea that everybody is at equal risk. And as you just went over with the students, they're not. Um, under age 40, I think it is, it's like 2% chance. Um, and that's very, very small. But people believe it's way worse. And that's not only driving the policy at the governor's level. But the media reporting on it as well, because most media, I don't have to tell you, right? <laughs> most news reporters tend to be left of center. 
And so you've got this 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 vicious feedback loop going on. It seems like. Um, well, how do you, you break know, that? I, well, it, it's very hard because. Um, you know, as you just pointed out, our media, I hate to say this, you can't pick up a paper and trust what it says. You can't look on the evening news and trust what it says. Um, we do have uh, we do have pockets of journalists who have integrity, who report the facts and tell us what it is. But the mainstream, I mean, I got attacked last uh, just this past week by folks in Raleigh and, and folks in Charlotte um, for stating some things and some observations. And they just don't want to listen to the truth. They just want the, the, to be able to push a particular narrative. And part of that narrative is fear. And that's what they've done to their population. They've scared them to death totally irrationally and just totally for a political agenda. So how do we fight about that? You know, uh, governor's administration is democratic, obviously. Uh, pressure being put on papers and news outlets to push that agenda, too. It's going to be a hard battle. It's going to be a very hard battle. What were you attacked for? Uh this past week I, I missed it well there's some observations uh, i think that are pretty clear 60 percent of the individuals in uh, the country uh, fear that if biden were elected president he would not be able to mentally be able to finish his <laughs> first term you know i've been a physician for 30 years i've dealt with geriatric patients a great amount of that time and i've dealt with many people who i've seen progress to dementia you know it doesn't take an orthopedic surgeon to diagnose a a broken arm, a vascular surgeon to diagnose a, uh, uh, a uh, you know, a leg with gangrene. And it doesn't take a neurologist to necessarily diagnose somebody who looks like they have dementia. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I hope that's not the case. But, you know, I get attacked because of my specialty. But I deal with uh, lots of different other medical issues all the time. And again, it's to push a political agenda. Um, you know, uh, again, as they've attacked me before, um, I've been proven right each time, but you don't see retractions from those institutions. Well, and anybody who, I mean, I would say you don't even need to be a doctor when you're looking at Joe Biden just from, you know, five years ago to today. It, I mean, it's obvious that he's he's had some decline, as expected. Like, he's he's a, he's an older guy. Um, now, I don't know how bad it is, uh, but I, I don't find what you said to be particularly controversial. <laughs> he, he's like, no, especially when 60% of the... Americans um, believe that that's the case. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's again, it's just a, a game to attack a Republican. And uh, we've even had a couple of folks from academia jump on the bandwagon to attack me also. So, you know, everybody knows that, you know, academia is now left leaning. They have an agenda to push for Democrats and the media, the same thing. And so, um, you know, I just take it on the chin because I'm going to stick by what's true and what's observational. Which is interesting also because I, I, I seem to recall lots and lots of people offering opinions about Donald Trump's mental capacities uh, over the last five years. Um, oh, yeah, that's very interesting. <laughs> good point. Very good point. So uh, speaking of Joe Biden, um, what he's he's promising along the lines of this COVID stuff, he said, I guess it was, what, three or four days ago, that if, uh, if the scientists told him or his experts advised him to lock down the whole economy, he would do so along with a mask mandate nationally. Um, do you think that that's an appropriate step for the president to take? Well, first of all, his scientists wouldn't have told him that. <laughs> they would not have told him to put the country... Um, into a total lockdown because how do you get food transported across the country? How do you put food on people's tables? How do you supply electricity? He's just literally, and again, it, it, bring, it brings the question into what is he thinking and how is he able to think? 
you just don't do that. You know, as I said before, there have been some mistakes made, um, but I think that the uh, the ship has been on the right course pretty much the whole time, and that's just total nonsense. First of all, the scientists wouldn't say that. Um, you just don't just don't do that. Virus doesn't disappear; it would populate back out again. Um, and we're working so hard on therapeutics. We talk about we can talk about Operation Warp Speed with vaccines, but it's just a it's just a way to attack. Um, the president and his administration. Look, uh, President Trump listened to Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci recommended that we stop flights from China January 31st. What did President Trump do? He, we stopped flights from China January 31st. And if there was one intervention that kept us from being overrun like Italy was, it was just that intervention. But the press and the you know academia, they won't give uh, the president for credit for doing that. And so, you know, it's the same old story of lies, deceptions and uh, untruths. So, yeah, they, they want us to believe that while they were attacking Trump as a racist for shutting down the travel from China, that uh, he should have done it sooner and they would not have criticized him for doing it sooner, even though nobody knew how bad it was going to be. It's it's yeah, not, well, yeah, it's not believable. Yeah, Pelosi and uh, Biden both attacked Trump for right. doing it, <laughs> calling him a racist. Yeah. So, you know, I got attacked because I wanted to say, let's reopen the economy. I got attacked, called a racist, because at that time, some disproportionate numbers of African-Americans were affected. Well, let's, fl let's flip the, the coin on the other side of the foot. If, uh, if Democrats were saying, don't open up schools because it's not safe, well, couldn't we call them being racist because a lot of our minority communities and rural communities are disaffected, disproportionately affected by not having school in person? So, again, it's a narrative that's inconsistent and it's just meant to attack Republicans, regardless of whether there's any truth in it or not. Yeah, it reminds me of what happened with Senator Tom Tillis, who made a uh, made a comment about. It's affecting the Hispanic community uh, and people called him a racist for it. And then literally within 48 hours, Mandy Cohen, health secretary for the state of North Carolina, came out uh, with a Spanish uh, translator woman at the press conference to specifically address uh, the that community because it was ripping through this community so badly. Uh, it's just it, it. Yeah, it's you work off of the assumption that all Republicans are racist, and then every piece of evidence along the way, just you make it fit that underlying assumption. It's well, really that's, dishonest. That's what the Democrats have pushed since day one of the Trump presidency, mm -hmm. racist, racist, racist. When if you look at it and you look at listen to so many um, educated African-Americans that say, look, this has been the best president for the African-American community that there's ever been. You know, Obama just kept them government dependent. And that was just ridiculous. He's put them in jobs and done so much for their welfare. And, you know, this is just a phrase that they use. If you don't agree with their agenda, you're a racist. And, you know, I love them when they call me a racist. I've traveled around the globe for the last 30 years taking care and operating on people that don't look like me. And I love them calling me a racist uh, uh, because of being a Republican. Saving Again, lives. Well, that's racist. Makes no damn sense. Yeah, well, if you save the lives of people of color, that, I guess, also makes you racist. I think that's what they say. Yeah. Um, well, it, yeah. It's, uh, well, the, yeah. yeah, it's an it's an inconsistent application of standards is what it is. And uh, I think that is actually why 
we're seeing so much hysteria over the last few days just to sort of pivot to the Republican National Convention. You're seeing, I mean, it is, it's something that I wish the Republican Party had done years ago is to put more people of color on the stage and tell their stories. And uh, I think you're hitting the party seems to be approaching uh, sort of a critical mass level where you're going to start seeing a lot more defections away from the Democratic Party. And I think that's what's driving a lot of the left's anger and hysteria over race right now. They're, yes. af- they're afraid they're losing that demographic. Well, I, I think you're spot on correct, because that's one of the reasons call them a racist, call us a racist. And that's what hits, you know, obviously African-Americans have a very difficult history in the United States. But if you label every uh, Republican a racist, well, that's going to secure and guarantee that Democratic vote. Although the Democrats have not done squat for the people of color in the country, other than keep them literally um, dependent upon the government. You know, what do you want in this country? What do you want if you're a family member, if you're a father or a mother? You want to have a safe life. You want to have an employment. You want to have uh, basically just live. But now they've become so divisive that every white person hates black people, which is absolutely absurd. You know, Pete, I see African-American patients all the time. And, you know, we just talk about just wanting to live life. We don't want the division. They don't want the division. But you have a very, very vocal vocal minority who does not want unity. They just want division. I see some of that in my own, you know, my own hometown. Um, These people, so many times, they don't want people to live together they just want division to occur and that's what's sad that's what the democrats want i i've said many many times if african americans as a population vote in similar ways as any other racial demographic the democratic party doesn't win ever again they need 90 plus percent of african-american votes every election and i think that's really what's driving uh, a lot of this and uh yeah like you said it, it by call by 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 labeling republicans as racist then it it serves this this uh, function to keep african-americans away from the gop uh and it's purely well, for their own gain for the democratic party's gain Right. You're exactly right. They would not survive without a good portion of the African-American yeah. vote. But, you know, when I when I meet with patients and I meet with African-Americans in eastern North Carolina, you know, I believe they're conservative. They believe in God. They they don't get into all the, the gender craziness. They don't uh, they don't get into this violence. They just want a life where they can be, uh, you know, be and be alive. They, they care about conservative issues, but they've been fed a bunch of falsehoods and lies. And, um, you know, it's just tragic. And I just pray that they would open up and understand that they've been they've been sold a a lot of goods. Mm -hmm. My guest is North Carolina Congressman Dr. Greg Murphy. Um, Now more than ever, you need old Grouch's military surplus in your life. Do you have an old Grouch in your life? I've got one for you. It's Tim at Old Grouch's Military Surplus. He's actually a very nice guy. He's not a grouch at all. It's in downtown Clyde. He's got an expanded line of first aid kits and medical supplies for all kinds of emergencies, from scrapes to gunshot wounds with step-by-step instructions that anybody can follow and maybe avoid a trip to the COVID-ridden hospitals. Uh, he's got body armor. 
There might be a need for that nowadays. All kinds made to NATO specs. These are for in-store purchases and over-the-phone purchases only. He has face masks as well. These are really cool. They're made out of um, military parachutes, so they're lightweight and they're soft, and they're made by a local family, a veteran family, a disabled vet. So uh, you can help a local family while you get your face mask quota. Uh, He has the steel gas cans, the pre-band kind, the old-school ones, the ones that are good right before GovCo regulated them. Um, and he, of course, he has tons of real U.S. military surplus. For more than three decades, Old Grouch's military surplus on Main Street in downtown Clyde. The shop is open Monday through Saturday across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. The RNC, you've been watching uh, some of the speeches. Which ones do you like? Who, who Whose speeches have you liked the best? I, I'll give you mine is uh, Maximo Alvarez. I thought his speech was... The best so far that I've seen, but I have a soft spot for the immigrant story when people leave everything to come here and then try to warn us about like the direction we're headed. Yeah, no, no, spot on. I agree with you 100 um, percent. He spoke about what the, what the Democratic Party really wants. You know, it's very interesting. The Democratic uh, Convention did not talk about details about what they want for the country. They just put up these lofty ideals, you know, puff high in the sky kind of things. Because they don't want people to know what they really stand for, because if they did, there would be a revolt against them. And so you have somebody like that that gets up and talks and said, this is really what the Democratic people want. And this is what I've come from. And I'm here to warn you about this. That's critical. That's critical. Uh, I enjoyed the the, uh, speech of the uh, African-American attorney general last night from Kentucky. Yeah, he was a very, very compelling story. So, you know, I think the tide is turning and I think the Democrats, appropriately so, should be scared because they're the the wool is being pulled out uh, from under people's, you know, away from people's eyes so that they can see the real um, lack of uh, vision for the country, a good vision for the country, rather, that the Democrats have. So the um, yeah, to your point about uh their voting patterns versus their uh, philosophy, poll after poll after poll. When you when you ask them about specific issues, African-Americans give more conservative answers than white folks do by population on church attendance, um, uh, on uh, vouchers, huge supporters of school choice. These are conservative types of issues. And I've never understood where this idea came from that. Uh, in order to be a limited government proponent, you have to have a certain skin pigmentation. It doesn't make any sense to me. If anything, like that's that that it, it's a universal idea to to view the individual as the the smallest minority, right? That is, we are all the smallest minority of one, and protect the individual, and everybody benefits. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Biden said it perfectly. If you uh, vote for Trump, you ain't black. Right. <laughs> uh, paraphrasing that, because I mean, basically, that's what they said. Because of your skin color, because of the color of your skin, you should think a certain way. And that's ridiculous. The African-Americans that I meet, by and large, are conservative. They're churchgoers. They're not for abortion. Um, They're not for the the things that the Democratic Party stands for. You know, if if the African-American population knew that uh, the Democratic Party has taken God out of their platform, they would be appalled. They would be appalled. Uh, speaking of appalling, uh, I need to ask you, how many of the Postal Service mailboxes have you stolen as part of the plan to prevent people from voting by mail? 
Do you have a quota? Yeah. So, so, yeah. I mean, Pete, that just utter nonsense. We got called back to Pelosi by Pelosi to come to Washington, D.C. for a non-crisis, non-issue. She wasted the taxpayers' money, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars calling us back to D.C. for a total non-issue. You know, Obama, during his Hennes administration, removed 12,000 post boxes. 12,000 because of they weren't in the right place and everything. And they weren't efficient. And so the president, you know, has appointed Louis DeJoy, who has a record of turning businesses around. You know, I liken it and I akin it very much to Lee Iacocca hmm. when he was put in with Chrysler. It was a dying, failing company. And he realized that and he turned it around by processes that made things much more efficient uh, and, uh, you know, brought the country to brought Chrysler to success. Well, you know, here last year, so much was paid. And I can't remember the exact statistic in overtime last year for for the Postal Service, even though mail volume was down. So what does that tell you? <laughs> it tells you that there are inefficient processes in place. So, you know, some people trying to make it political. It's merely a business decision. We want that to be an efficient competitor to FedEx and UPS. Right. And uh, I learned in in talking to an expert, an actual postal service policy expert on this uh, uh, last week, uh, that the the postal service, like their main focus is on the letters. Uh, they don't really even do a lot of stuff with the parcels. That's FedEx and UPS and all that. Um, and so they're like their whole focus is on the letters. And that's not really what people use anymore. That's the that, that's a big problem for them as a business model. So it seems to me like if you're trying to adapt to the way people use the service now, you're going to have to make some changes. And a box that only lets you slip a little letter into it probably isn't the best idea when people are trying to mail packages nowadays. Well, it, it's just a Pelosi ploy scale or scare especially the elderly that uh, who may vote by mail, that their vote wouldn't be counted. Yeah. Well, let's, let's look at this. What happens with mail from Thanksgiving to Christmas every year? I can't give you the exact statistic, but we know that it blows through the roof. And if every single vote registered voter in the country today wanted to vote by mail, it would be a blip on the radar. It could easily be handled. So there is no problem with the Postal Service delivering the mail. There, the only problem is the fact that it can't it is not managed efficiently. Yeah, I think the number uh, the number I'm, I'm recalling is like 400 something million pieces of mail every day, something like that. Yeah, 420, 421, yeah. I believe. Yeah, it's just it's it, I don't even I can't even comprehend that. It's so massive uh, of a scale. Um so I think they'll be okay. So there is no plot, there was no uh there, there's no Trumpian plan in place uh to uh to destroy the Postal Service in order to secure victory in November. Although, well, the scary thing now to me is that it seems like the excuse is being developed right now in case he does win, there's now going to be this uh, either conspiracy theory or a narrative that gets cra uh, crafted around the mail-in voting ballots to say he stole the election. Sure, 100%. 100%. That's exactly what Pelosi That's dangerous. Says. That's like really dangerous. Well, it undermines the democracy and the the essential foundation of the country. Yeah. Speaking of, what do you make of the mob violence going on? Is this uh, is what can the federal government do? And I I say that as a limited government person, and I'm like hating myself for even thinking in terms like that. 
but I'm looking around and I'm seeing state and local leaders not willing to do anything. And now you've got people up in Wisconsin, you've got citizens that are now taking matters into their own hands. And two people were shot and killed um, by armed defenders, private citizens defending property. Um, is there any discussion at the congressional level that you're aware of about what's going on? Sure. Um, you know, think about this. All have all these have occurred in Democratic cities. Because I guarantee you Republican uh, mayors, Republican governors would not stand for these kind of things. And so what is happening is essentially, you know, it's one thing about protests. We That's part of our First Amendment rights is free speech, which is now actually being trampled on in our universities. But that's a different thing. <laughs> um, it, it, it's about free speech, but it is about peaceful free speech. And I guarantee you, I would submit rather that uh, MLK, Gandhi would be horrified if they saw what was happening in cities these days. Because this isn't about free speech. This is about utter destruction and anarchy. I mean, look at what happened out with the autonomous zone. Yeah. You know, when they took over a city block, they took over uh, a police precinct. You know, this is anarchy. This is total anarchy. And if that's what um, the Democratic Party wants um, and pushes for in the far left, then I would pray that middle America understands that that's what their future is if they're elected and that what they would understand that when they go to vote in November. I saw somebody uh, mentioned if your argument is that we have to elect Joe Biden, uh, Joe Biden or the rioting is not going to stop. If that's your argument, then what does that tell you about who's responsible for the rioting? <laughs> Right. Mm -hmm. right. Like they're uh, yeah, they're telling you the sort of the tipping the hand here as to like who they're aligned with. And it's this is extortion. Right. I mean, this, that's what this is. Blackmail. Yeah. Total blackmail. And, you know, it, it's total blackmail. I agree with you completely, Pete. Is there is there is there anything, though, that the feds can do? Because Trump offered assistance. And if the mayors or governors turn it down, then what? The people are just left on their own well, until after the uh, election? Yeah. So in the congressional level, there's really not much we can do. We're a lawnmaking body. Right. Uh, we're an appropriating body. Um, we're not that. But the president of the United States is charged ultimately with the protection and the welfare of the citizens of the country. And if the elected officials locally, mayors, city council members, governors are not protecting their citizens, then it is a to the uh, president of the United States to intervene and to keep those citizens safe. Do you have any idea what that looks like? How would how, what, what kind of an intervention is that? Federal that means federalizing the National Guard. National Guard um, yeah. and uh, going in and restoring the peace. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, President Lyndon Johnson had to do that in Alabama with segregation, and because the governor there was fighting him on it, and so the uh, President Johnson had to federalize the National Guard to intervene uh, because his, the governor would not take care of the problem in their own state. And so if that's what's going to happen in these democratic states, then the, then the president has no, um, no choice but to do that. So is that the play to force him politically to force him to do that? And then they can say, aha, he's a fascist. He's a tyrant. Look what he's doing. He's federalizing the national guard to, uh, to, you know, to tamp down protests. And citizens. Well, I think that the people that the if the National Guard were federalized, that the people would go in there to whom they protect would welcome them into their communities. 
you know, the most uh, the disproportionately affected have been African-American communities. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think he would be welcomed in their communities, whether they're white or black or whatever. Um, we live in a country of laws and these punks are, that are going out and burning down businesses, burning down churches. Um, it's just not part of what our country's ethic is. So uh, it, it should not be stands, stood for. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? I know we kept you a long time here. Is there anything else you want to add you think is important or interesting that we haven't covered already? Yeah, yeah Pete, um, you know, these are this is the most challenging time, I think, since the Civil War in this nation's history. Uh, the decision, the votes in uh, November will literally be um, a continuation of what our founding fathers wanted, or it will be a fundamental change in the structure of the United States, uh, which, in my opinion, will be very, very hard to turn back from. If we, you know, pull to the left, um, if we pull hard to the left, which is what the Democratic Party wants us to do, the fundamental structure of this nation will be gone. Um, we won't have our defense. We will, you know, China's been running roughshod over us, um, roughshod rather, uh, since day one of the pandemic. Um, I've, you know, I've had Democrats that have been pulling for China, you know, in this entire endeavor. I mean, it's just unconscionable. We had Democrats pulling for uh, the Iranians when Soleimani was taken out, mm. which, by the way, we haven't had any Iranian attacks by Hezbollah, et cetera, et cetera, um, of, of any consequence since then mm. and so it's a fundamental decision in this country's uh, history and uh i fear for the children for for the country that my children my grandchildren will inherit if this country pulls left north carolina's third district congressman dr greg murphy thanks so much for your time good to talk with you again thanks for sharing your time with us and safe travels to you take care right. and uh, stay safe thanks all right and speaking of staying safe do you know how to keep your website safe in these uncertain times? Well, I mean, I don't think COVID's going to affect your uh, your website, but I mean, a virus could. Anyway, um, you need your website to turn up in search engine results. You want it to look professional. You want it to be user friendly and you want to have it protected. You want to keep it maintained, but you don't know how to do any of that stuff. Well, my friend Schaefer Smith does at Schaefer Smith Design. Great design can actually solve a lot of problems that websites experience. He does professional services, corporate accounts, small businesses, entrepreneurs. Schaefer Smith can help you. He does graphics. He does photos. He can help you build out your online store, search engine optimization, website maintenance and security. He does logos. He did mine. Go to SchaeferSmith.com and get the most out of your website. That's SchaeferSmith.com. All right, that's a wrap for this episode. Remember, please subscribe to the podcast. I do appreciate that, and thank you so much for your support. We'll talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.